This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. So tonight we'll be uh, interviewing Dr. Niels Wouters from the Microsoft Research Centre. Sorry, this is a long one. Microsoft Research Centre for Social Natural User Interfaces, the Melbourne School of Engineering at the University of Melbourne. So he's coming on the show to talk about the new artificial intelligence application, Biometric Mirror, which uses uh, crowdsourced data to scan people's faces and return demographic and psychometric data. Um, And he'll also be discussing the ethical and legal issues of using this kind of technology. Um, then we'll be hearing from Ken Wong, who's uh, from the game studio Mountains. Um, he's coming on the show to talk about his award-winning win- award debut title, Florence, and also how the studio got its start. Um, but first, we'll be doing the news, and we've got some news with the opt-in, opt-out um, My Health Record system. So the Minister Greg Hunt uh, says he'll be redrafting uh, the My Health Record Bill, um, so they cannot be accessed by police. Um, so this puts the opt-out date back by a month, um, but who's to say how long it will actually push, be pushed back by? So apparently you now need, um, well, once this is redrafted, you will need a court order um, to access people's records. Yeah, it's it's uh, adding another layer of protection, which they probably should have considered in the first place. Uh, just seems like a little bit of political backpedalling or yeah. just um, political, uh, I don't know how to say it, not uncertainty, but um, blindness. Like doesn't they, feel, I don't, I don't trust it. No, not at all. Have uh, you opted out? I have opted out. I, opted I have out also if, opted yeah. out. I sat around with my housemates and we all opted out. Yeah, good move. Uh, Apple are apparently about to become a trillion dollar company. Uh, they, um, TechCrunch are reporting today that they're close to it and their third quarter results were higher than analysts predicted and their stock was up 2.5% today after the report. I can't really pretend to understand anything about money, but if you hit up TechCrunch's site, they've got graphs and the breakdown of how they got to this particular point. It makes sense there. Just uh, keep on steamrolling, keep on releasing product after product. Apparently they sold over 41 million phones in the past financial year. That is crazy to think about. Yeah. I've been uh, holding on to my uh, iPhone. Actually, I've got a Samsung S4, but I've been holding on to that for like five years, but I'm going to have to upgrade now. I think I'm going to have to go on Apple. Maybe, oh. I'll get, maybe I'll get them over the line, get them to the one trillion with my purchase. And it wouldn't be bite without some kind of WikiLeaks news? What's of happening? Not. Uh, so WikiLeaks... Um, a huge dump of WikiLeaks chat logs have been released to the public. Um, it's an enormous amount of chat logs, most of them mundane, but some of them are actually quite nefarious. Um, so there's chat logs um, with WikiLeaks uh, staff trying to um, use third parties to uh, attack their political enemies by suing them. They're using third parties basically as a middleman for their political agenda. Um, they've got troll operations. Um, uh, and yeah, uh, there's some instances um, where they try, like talk about suing their critics and things like that, which is kind of uh, goes against the image of what WikiLeaks stands for. They, they're all about truth and you know, they're going all this espionage kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, you can go through it on Emma B. 
best Emma dot best um, and it's uh, a ton of chat logs how did they get a hold of them um, I don't know there's a it's anonymous Michael someone they've kept his uh, details anonymous but they say you can pretty pretty easily get a hold of uh, who it is in a world first, University of Melbourne researchers have designed an artificial intelligence system to detect and display people's personality traits based solely on a photo of their face. This system called Biometric Mirror investigates a person's understanding of AI and their response to the information provided. Um, lead on the project, Dr. Niels Wouters joins us in the studio tonight. How are you, Neil? I am very good, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, so can you start us off just by letting us know um, why the biometric mirror was conceived? That's a really good question. I think we're at a time when there is a really urgent need for us to talk about digital ethics. Um, that discussion has been yeah, had already. It's been led by ethicists, by academics, and they've done a really good job. But yeah, technology is evolving so rapidly and technology is also penetrating into yeah, the, the more public sphere, I guess. Um, and I feel a need for the public to be involved in that debate. Um, and for that reason, we've basically developed Biometric Mirror as a bit of a provocation as to what artificial intelligence can do and how it could have consequences for people themselves. So what are some of the specific ethical uh, dilemmas that arise from something like this? Well, Biometric Mirror, for instance, uses a data set that is open source, but that is also crowdsourced. So that means people have looked at, in our case, 10,000s of photos and have manually annotated them. How attractive does this person look? Um, what ethnicity do I think that person has? How weird, how emotionally unstable does that person look? And that human annotation in itself, that's not necessarily wrong, but the fact that we have developed an AI with that data set, that's obviously wrong, because all of a sudden we've developed an AI that's no longer objective, but that is just reflecting what society would think when they see you walking down Swanston Street, for instance. Yeah, so it's kind of like a mixture of um, AI and also human culture, I guess, or like the combination of yeah, what uh, people believe or think about other people. Yeah, absolutely. It's literally a mirror of culture and a mirror of societal biases. Yeah, okay. And awesome. What is the experience of someone using this installation? Like, what walk us through what happens. All right. Um, so it's a physical installation in a foyer at um, the Melbourne Uni campus. People walk up to a large screen with a Kinect um, attached on top of it. They stand in front of the screen and as soon as it detects their face, it says like, hey, uh, do you actually want to know what computers can tell about you? Um, they raise their hand to give consent and then a photo will be taken that will be uploaded to our machine learning model and it will be compared with these 10,000 photos. And basically, I think it takes about two seconds per attribute uh, to appear. And basically, you get your profile in full view in front of you on that large screen. So it starts with really objective parameters, gender and age, but then it drills down into the more, yeah, I guess, intimate uh, aspects, ethnicity, your level of attractiveness, weirdness, intelligence, responsibility, emotional stability. So it becomes really personal, but we also show to people 
get what what the value is. Um, so apparently I'm not attractive on a Monday morning, but I'm slightly more attractive <laughs> on a Friday evening, which is nice to know. Um, I'm also considered irresponsible, even though even though I do the dishes. Um, but we're really transparent, so we show all the information we can capture. We we show also how confident the algorithm is of its assumptions. And yeah, most people already see that these assumptions and these confidences are ridiculously low. So you're pretty uh, easy going with your results, despite they, they might be unflattering. How has the general public received these uh, parameters? It's interesting. Um, so it's still early days. We've only started last week with our observations and with our study. Um, a lot of people see it as a fun experience. And probably the reason for that is probably because these, uh, yeah, these assumptions are just so wrong. Um, it often gets people's ethnicity wrong, for instance. And that's where it starts for people. That's when they realize like, okay, this just doesn't make sense. This is uh, this is unreal. Um, but what we also notice that most people still, despite the fact that I think it's a really fun experience, they still have one attribute that is a bit of a yeah a thing that they keep talking about afterwards. Like, hey, I was considered unattractive. I don't know why that was. Um, or all of a sudden, I was considered irresponsible. So. There's a bit of a takeaway still for people, um, and we're still investigating that further, but we wonder if people actually do still believe something about what is told. Is it provoking the kind of conversations around these ethical dilemmas that you were hoping would be provoked? Um, maybe not necessarily on campus among students that, that have experienced um, biometric mirror, but it definitely is triggering a more public debate. We see a lot of media interest and they all focus on how we all of a sudden do ethics research by actually building something and by actually yeah, going out in the open and confronting people with, with what's considered unethical. So, um, what, so whenever anyone does the scan, are they added to the database? Or so how does the database, is it static or are you planning to increase the database? It's it's a static database at the moment. Yeah. Um, so people's data is not added to that database. That's also an ethical consideration and an ethical decision that we've made. Yeah. Um, the reason for that is we're just we're aware that all the information that is returned is wrong. So if we were to add that again to the database, we would just keep feeding it with wrong information, and it would just get, yeah, it would just get completely ridiculous in the yeah. end. So we're not doing that uh, for a lot of reasons. Okay. Um, so then what are the limitations of this kind of tech if like obviously the um, human element where you've just taken the biased data and you're using biased data, but is there anything else we're not seeing here? Um, perhaps I think a lot of governments and a lot of yeah, industry partners are embracing artificial intelligence for all sorts of purposes and, and typically it's sold to us as a, as a new tool to make our life easier. But what we don't see, what we as citizens don't see is the data sets that they're relying on. Um, how inclusive are they, for instance? In our case, would it cover all ethnicities? We don't. We only have five ethnicities that we recognize in our data set, and that's obviously really wrong. Um, but also, yeah, gender inclusivity, um, and also the, the other aspects that are in a data set, the fact that we have a data set that picks up people's um, emotional stability and weirdness, yeah, you can never put that in a data set and you can never distinguish these features based on a single snapshot of a person's face. Um, you would need 
psychologists and you would probably need other sets of data and other information to distinguish that reliably. But the challenge today is that, um, yeah, a lot of governments are just not transparent about what they distinguish from camera footage, for instance, or from photos and what they use it for. If all of a sudden a recruiter would build a system such as Biometric Mirror and would pick up on people's degree of responsibility and based on the output, based on the outcome, yeah, there would be a decision made for your job application that could have yeah, really significant consequences for people. And that's what we aim to highlight. We want to raise awareness. So does that mean that uh, have you had any feedback from the people who you're intending this to hit? Like... Uh, um, governments or you know corporations or things like that there is some feedback yeah so there is definitely interest to engage with us in a in a more elaborate conversation on ethics and how to develop policy around this um, yeah. so yeah that's really fascinating yeah yeah oh, awesome um, and how do people get access to this it's on campus at um, uh, Melbourne Uni, correct? Yeah, so it's on campus of the University of Melbourne. Are you um, planning to expand that? We are, yeah. So we're actively working on a version of Biometric Mirror together with Science Gallery Melbourne. Um, so that version will be exhibited in their gallery space from mid-September onwards um, as part of the Perfection exhibition. But it will also be a key public engagement piece. So we will actually set it up in the city centre um, in front of the State Library. Um, and we're expecting, yeah, a few thousands of people um, so it's part a fun experience and a, a fun experiment but it's also research so we're still uncovering from people what they think of ethics and how far we can go with technology okay is there any other projects that you have combining ethics and technology do you have any more projects like this in mind or is this the taking up all your time um, we've actually picked up on the fact that um, us going into the public space and doing research on ethics is is so novel um, that we think we have to pursue this further. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm quite confident that there will be future biometric mirrors. Um, they probably won't be called biometric mirror, um, but they will still bring the discussion around ethics uh, into the public space. Into technology. Yeah. Is there an increase um, of studying ethics at universities in a technology context at the moment yeah absolutely it's um, so necessary we talk about that a lot on this show yeah, yeah absolutely it's it's so vital and i think a lot of young people especially have lost track of what privacy is how important privacy is how important it is to yeah perhaps give consent for others to access some data but also yeah retain some data and retain ownership over some data um, so it's definitely happening at universities it's really yeah that's fantastic a really good that thing to hear yeah awesome um well uh, i'm don't have any more questions uh, do you have anything else to add joe i have exhausted my list of questions for you <laughs> yeah that was very interesting thank you uh dr niels wouders with uh, melbourne uni about the biometric mirror thank you so much thanks for having me no problem Right now, we're joined in the studio by Ken Wong, the creative director at Mountains, a video game studio who have recently released their um, narrative experience video game, graphic novel. Uh, it's a whole bunch of things. Florence, Ken, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so Mountains is a relatively new studio um, and it's filled with, dare I say, mountains of experience. Uh -huh. Yeah, I nice. wrote that before. I wanted to get that Excellent. out. <laughs> um, uh, can you tell us how the studio came together? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so a couple of years ago, um, I had the pleasure of working on um, another game called Monument Valley. And uh, that did pretty well. And based on that, on the success of that, I was able to come back to my home country of Australia uh, with all the experience that I've gathered over the years, all those mountains of experience, if you will, <laughs> and um, start up a new studio and um, and kind of start the studio that I always wanted to, to work at and, um, and hire some amazing talent um, from here in Australia. And yeah, two years later, um, Florence was the result. Awesome. Um, so you, we'll just back it a little bit. You were worked on Monument Valley. What was your role on Monument Valley? Um, so I described myself as the lead designer of Monument Valley. Um, it was a eight person team, but um, you know, it was really a group effort, like all, all coming together to design things. But I, I had roles in level design, in art direction, in um, coming up with the story. Yeah, right. Yeah. And is have you taken a similar role with um, Florence? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a smaller studio, and and I'm sort of the studio founder as well. So, I kind of had this this really busy role on Florence, where I was I was doing all of the art myself and sort of um, directing the story and the design. But um, yeah, I'd, so I call that creative director. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, titles are a weird thing in in games. It's like. It's never just like one thing. You're always putting on different hats, even even during one day. So you got multiple skills doing art and design. Uh, and everyone sound, at the team yeah. does. You know, on a, on such a we have um, it was a team of four on Florence, and and everyone really um, you know pitched in to to get this thing off the ground and 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 get the project done. Yeah, and like I uh, see that Kamina Vincent's on the team as well, uh, who's worked on. Uh, it says she's had twenty. Um, worked on 20 tiles. Um, yeah, so. yeah. So everyone on the team, um, Sam, Tony and Kamina, all have like really different um, skills and experience. Um, previous to Mountains, Kamina was at another Melbourne studio called Tin Man Games. And they specialized in doing um, uh, interactive narrative games, but they would they would really pump them out. They would um, they would do a couple of titles a year, and so based on that, Camino was able to get a lot of titles under her belt um, before joining. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, and you've worked on Florence and released it, and to uh, a fair amount of critical acclaim at this point. Uh, got a couple of awards. Um, it's a uh, I find it hard to describe. It's like an interactive narrative, video game, graphic novel. Um, was that, that always that the intention? That was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. How do you describe it to people? Tell us about it. Um, I tell people that it's a love story um, for their mobile phone. And um, I think that raises more questions than it answers, but that's okay. Um, I think that's maybe... That's how you get people to download it. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a pretty simple... Um, value proposition right there. You know, like uh, everyone loves a good love story, I think. And um, But the idea of downloading a love story from the app store, that's kind of novel. And, um, and we think that we've done a really good job of that. Um, you know, I think people are used to the idea of what you might call time wasters um, that you get for your mobile phone, which is all well and good, you know? Like sometimes you just... Um, you. You're a bit bored. You just want to put some gems together, or like you know, um, kill gotta some have, monsters. Got to have another round of Hearthstone or something yep. like oh, that. Oh look, yeah. I spent many months using Drop Seven as a, <laughs> as a way to to chill myself out. Yeah, 
Yeah, um, but you know, games can do so many different things, and um, what we wanted to craft was something um, high quality and, and narrative, tell a story, and we actually decided to um, tell a, a love story between um, a, a Chinese Australian woman and an Indian Australian man based here in Melbourne, and it's all it's all wordless actually. Um, we decided to adopt sort of some of the language of a wordless graphic novel and um, not having words in it kind of puts the emphasis on the art and on the interaction design. So this blurring of between the lines of uh, what it actually is, was that always intended or were you looking for a more straightforward linear experience? You know, I, I just think that speaks to um, the fact that we're kind of outgrowing the term video games or, or mobile games. I mean, it was always kind of a clumsy term, like uh, like games you usually associate with like winning or losing or like competitiveness or skill or chance. But games from from almost from the from the get-go have been able to to do different things that traditional games haven't been able to do. And and so um, I I think there are people interact with games, with video games, and I'm using air quotes, um, in many different ways. And so if, um, yeah, if people want to call it a game or if they want to say that's not really a game, I'm fine with that, you know, as long as they give it a go, download it from the App Store for a few bucks. Yep. So does that mean you're always looking for new things in video games, whether you're creating yourself or looking at what other people are doing? Yeah, definitely. I mean... Um, I think it's a balance, really. Like I, I still enjoy, um, you know, traditional games, um, Street Fighter and um, and StarCraft, that kind of thing. But also, um, as a as a creator and as an artist, I'm looking for what's pushing the boundaries there. Like, how can we tell new stories? How can we um, get stories from other creators? How can we push at the boundaries of what we can do with the internet? Um, Pokemon Go is a really good example where, you know, th through a combination of technology and storytelling and great, great design, you've got people going out, you know, into the world, um, hunting imaginary creatures, but creating this like social e experience. And that's really magical. Um, I've definitely noticed strangers talking <laughs> to each other over Pokemon Go. <laughs> yeah, isn't that, isn't that interesting that, that video games can manifest themselves in the real world, in society, in that very unique way. And I, I think that's something that we can constantly be asking ourselves as creators. Awesome. Um, and Florence has also begun to accumulate awards, like I said before. Um, how does this help the game and the studio in general as well? Oh, well, you know, it's, it's really nice to be recognized for your hard work. Um, and um, so, um, you know, most notably, um, Florence picked up an Apple Design Award um, earlier this year. Which That's your second Apple Design Award, is it not? Congratulations. You thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Monument Valley won an Apple Design Award in 2014 um, and uh, Florence got one in 2018. And, and it, they're basically Apple hands them out to the, the 10 most impressive apps every year. Um, but, you know, I, I think... Um, what really makes us uh, enthusiastic and happy about coming into work every day are the messages that we get through email or through Twitter um, saying that 
the game made them cry or that um, it was the first game they ever finished that they they you know maybe they they thought that games weren't for them and and then they they came across Florence or someone recommended Florence to them um, and and it really touched them um, you know we hear from people who uh, play the game with their partners you know and it and it and it gives them some new insight into their relationship um, there are some people who are going through breakups and and the game has helped them come to terms with that. And so that, you know, the, hearing that our work um, has affected people in whatever way in their lives, that's, um, that feels like we're, we're doing something good. So is that what you're trying to do? Like um, maybe provide experiences for people who may not be catered to? Like you, the protagonist, you said, uh, they're not, like it's not a bald white man with a gun. So um, <laughs> even like providing different experiences to people who may not have realized that they were it would enjoy video games um yeah i mean i i would say that's that's definitely part of the mission of mountains is to create um games for um people that don't normally play games um but i would also say that equally as important is um is for mountains to be a really healthy working environment. Um, you know, one issue that's facing game studios is people working crazy hours, crazy overtime, crunch. crunch, and and glorifying that. You know, saying like, oh, well, you know, we did eighty-hour weeks to get this game done. And um, you know, when you're when you're young and and you've got time to burn, that's that's great. That the passion is great, but that's not sustainable. You know, um, a lot of people get really burnt out. And and get leave the industry, and it's just not a sustainable lifestyle. So this is absolutely a theme that we've discussed so yeah. many times, and I agree with you. Great. Yeah. It's well, yeah. It's it's you know one of the first things we did when we started a company was was um, create an employee handbook, and it and it says there people come first, and and we're constantly revising it and and thinking about how can we value our our employees, and and we think that that's that's the best way that we can um, make great games is by by treating treating our teammates well. So have you had to enforce the handbook on staff or do, is everyone in the understand? I mean, you're a small studio, so it's not that hard, but <laughs> well, have you had to send anyone home because they're working long hours? Or? Uh, I mean, it's, it's I think... Um, Rather than enforcing it strictly, it's actually more important to to have a good, healthy culture. And so, uh, Kamina, our producer, um, does a really good job of reminding everyone when it's home time, and you know it's time to go home and and uh, have other priorities. Um, but I I would say that actually it's mostly me and Kamina um, <laughs> as as sort of the ones with the highest like admin responsibilities. We're the ones that have to constantly remind ourselves that there's life outside of work and, and there's, you know, almost always there are problems that can be solved tomorrow or next week. Um, yeah. I really hope that other studios learn from your example. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, uh, you're on Triple R and we're talking to Ken Wong about his game Florence and also studio culture, uh, video game studio culture. Um, and has this this kind of attitude passed on? I mean, you're in the arcade, which is um, a building filled with different game developers and different studios. Are you seeing this kind of culture in other studios as well, or are they learning from example? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, so the arcade is a, a co-working space here in Melbourne. Um, it's um, home to over 30 game studios, and it's a, it's a wonderful way to work because we're all independent, but we can all be supporting and learning from each other. And, 
you know, there's so much that Mountains owes to the whole games community um, in Melbourne and in Australia. Um, there's so much that we learn from from others and, and we get support when we have a problem that we don't know how to solve, whether it's like tax or um, how to deal with like an interpersonal conflict that we have or whether we just need to borrow like a particular Android device to test on. Um, it's been a wonderful um, supportive community. And, and so with the success of, of Florence and our studio, we try to make sure that we give back to um, our other studios and, and the upcoming um, new teams um, coming through, you know, the university system or, or just starting up. Yeah, right. Um, what other um, games, I'm also using air quotes, which <laughs> yeah. don't come across so well on radio, <laughs> um, would you say that we should look out for that have similar structure to, to Florence? Well, um, maybe not a similar structure to Florence, but I'd, I'd highly recommend that listeners check out Paperbark. Um, it's a game about being a wombat um, by our friends Paperhouse, also based in Melbourne, and uh, that's on on um, on mobile. And has it's, that been released yet? Yep, it just came out a couple of weeks ago, awesome. and it's it's just an incredibly um, beautiful uh, interactive storybook, if you will, about a, a wombat and the outback. So it's got this like Australian flavour, which you might be used to seeing in some like children's storybooks. And and the team kind of said, well, what if we like put that in an app. And um, I think uh, Melbourne listeners in particular might um, want to go to Acme and head down there and, and check out an, um, the exhibit that they have there um, in Screen Worlds, where there's a whole bunch of games there that are like kind of showing what we're talking about, like games that might surprise you about how accessible they are or the kind of stories they're telling. And a whole bunch of them are, are built here in, in Australia, designed in Australia. Yeah, it's great. Support for the local industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you may not be at liberty to talk about the projects that you're um, working on now, but can you tell us generally what you're trying to, um, or what you're working on at the moment without being too specific? Sure. Um, well, as I said, you know, like the developing the team is, is just as important to us as developing the project. So in various ways, we're like continuing to um, to improve that employee handbook and and to get better at not stressing out. Um, you know, like stress often it feels like it's coming from external places, but it's often the way to combat that is to manage your own stress um, and to and to keep communicating and supporting each other. Um, we are working on something that's incredibly exciting. Um, it's a bit early to talk about that, but um, but yeah, maybe I'll get to come on the show and, and tell your listeners about it sometime. That would be awesome. Um, well, thanks very much, Ken, for coming on the show. Um, so you. Florence is available now on the App Store and Google Play. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.